Anyhow, we're going to be talking about um, this last part of A Sound Mind from the Fruit of the Holy Spirit, Self-Control. And I've titled the message today, Redignifying Male and Female. I'm sorry for that word, redignifying. It isn't actually a word, uh, but I think you can get the heart behind it. Wanting to restore the dignity that God has for us as male and female. How are we doing in the back there? Randy. Randy. I'm yelling at Randy. Somebody give give him my attention. Awesome. Um, So, you know, this might be a bit of a different message. I'm going to not try to make too many jokes today. And you can be praying for me along the way. Um, Did you know that... uh, Manitoba and Winnipeg actually um, contributed a family that had a very pivotal role in the history of uh, gender identity culture in North America. Uh, This was a number of years ago, but they were the Reimer family from Winnipeg, and what happened was that the Reimers had some twin boys. Have you heard of the story of David Reimer before? Yeah, okay, so I'm going to do my best with the details. I did try to remind myself. So they had twin boys, and when the boys were very young, they were brought to be circumcised, and something went wrong with one of the boys in the circumcision, and it essentially obliterated his penis. And so the family was at a loss of what to do with one of their sons, and they saw a program on television um, from a doctor named Dr. John Money from the States, and he was talking about the fluidity of gender and the belief that gender was just a social construct. And so they ended up meeting with this doctor, and he had suggested to raise the boy that had had the uh, catastrophic damage done to his genitalia as a girl, which they, he's a doctor, doctors only give good advice, and so they decided to participate with it so that the remaining parts of um, who would become uh, David, he changed his, his name was changed twice, uh, the re- remaining part of his genitalia was removed, and he was in, the family was instructed to never, ever, ever, ever mention that David had at one point been a boy, but that he should only be treated as a girl and raised by, as a girl. So you're clear on the, the scenario here. All right, so for a number of years, this is... Uh, what the family did, they would, and they would bring their their children to the doctor for annual visits. And what the parents didn't know was that during these visits, the doctor would get the boys together alone in the room, and then probably because of some kind of behavioral psychology thing, he would make the boys act out adult sexuality on each other, to show them pornography, and then get them to imitate it on each other. Um, probably as a way to train them about what male and female was, but operating under this worldview that to be a man or to be a woman was just a social construct, it's just what you're taught to do. And after a number of years, the boys uh, refused to go revisit this doctor. I think they were 10 at the time. And then at some point, I think David was 14, he did go to his parents and say, hey, I feel like I am a man not a woman. And at that time, the parents finally came clean and told him what the story was. Uh, David eventually did grow up and 
get married and adopted three sons, but due to the trauma of what had happened to the boys growing up, uh, David's brother um, OD'd on an, from an addiction in his 30s, and then two years later, um, David ended up taking his own life the day of or the day after his wife told him she didn't want to live with him anymore. But they did, his story became like national news um, because when, what was going on in the medical world is that this doctor that had been doing these things had been presenting his study, his twin study um, of John Jane as a great success. And doctors love twin studies. The idea if you can get two people who have the same genetics, who are raised in the same home, and, um, and, and change one thing about them, uh, you have this data that you don't have with regular people because everyone's born different, and so it's harder to figure out what key thing would change someone's life. And so people love twin studies. I'm a twin, so I'm always a little bit, uh, feel both interested and hunted by twin study so, so-called conclusions. But, you know, they would do these things where they would separate identical twins at birth, and then they'd find them 30 years later and find out that they were both firefighters who had married someone named uh, Justine or something like odd like this. And so they're like, whoa, genetics, that's crazy, or something like that. But who wouldn't want to be a firefighter if you could? So, uh... But anyhow, there was... What happened had been being presented in the media, in the medical world as this great success, uh, proving that if you could medically and socially convince someone born male that they're female, that they would become female. They would essentially be female. And this doctor, who's probably a psychopath when you hear about how he treated people, um, was out there convincing the world that, that people are just that manipulatable. And there, I did see a clip because they did interview David as an adult and they told him, like, how do you feel that the medical world for decades was telling each other that what happened to you was a success proving this theory? And just the, the face of violation that went o- over him, like, that someone would call what happened to me any kind of success, I just, I can't, I can't kind of response. And that... Uh, David is buried in Winnipeg. So it's a little bit closer to home. It's not just stories on Facebook. What it means to be male and female uh, really does go right to the core of human existence, which is why whenever you have a message on male and female, everyone's a little bit tense. You're all going to need to eat lots of sugar for lunch to help you calm down. And uh, it's an opportunity for people to feel threatened, uh, upset, angry, um, all kinds of stuff. It's, it's easy to sing songs about love. It's, it's not always so simple to hear God's word about male and female. Because we're deeply invested. And uh, we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to get hurt. We don't want to be dishonored. We actually want to be treated with a lot of dignity. And that was God's plan in the first place in making us, to make these creatures that were gifted with and carried profound dignity. So going back to the book of Genesis, and we really do need these stories. Uh, We believe as Christians that our current state of existence is what, what we call the fall. 
where everything's broken, everything's been tarnished, nothing is as it ought to be. Um, it would be like if you suddenly found yourself living in The Walking Dead, where most of the people in the world are just flesh-eating zombies. But you're interacting with characters who didn't know anything other than, hey, people, we're all flesh-eating zombies here. The zombies don't realize that there was another option of humanity. And we, without revelation, without God talking to us, we don't know who we were supposed to be. So we actually need God to tell us, hey, everything's gone wrong. Nothing is like it was supposed to be. Not one day of your life was ever you, were you ever like you could have been if we had not sinned and fallen. But I'll give you two chapters, the first two chapters of my book that will talk about what it was meant to be. So in Genesis 1, we have the cosmic creation story where God starts with nothing except for this empty tohu wabohu, formless void mess. And he speaks light into it and he makes space up and down for his creation and then he makes space with dry land and water surrounding it. Uh, he puts the oceans where the oceans belong and the land where the lands belong and he fills this thing full of plant life so that everybody has something to eat. And then he makes birds to fill up the sorry, he makes suns and stars to fill up the heavens and he makes birds to fill up the skies and then he makes uh, fish to fill up the sea and he makes animals to run around and eat plants and then fertilize plants and generally be cool to watch doing their thing and then to give people something to chase down and ride when they're bored. <laughs> but to cap it all off, saving the best for last, the most important thing he ever was going to make, he says this, and then God said, let us make man in our image. It's an interesting phrase. People are not always sure what to do with the let us part where God's up to this point just been like, Declaring things should be, let there be light, and let there be this, and it's happening. He, he's like a big director, and he's so powerful that even nothingness obeys him. He speaks into nothingness, and it obeys because his word is so powerful. Speaks into darkness, and then there's light, because uh, when God wants, he is not disobeyable. It's, it's weird. God will talk to us in a way sometimes that we can disobey. And sometimes God will talk in a way that he gets his obedience, no matter what. I do feel like there's a little bit of, can we, is there something I can do on my end? But he's talking to himself. And at the very least, um, some people think he's addressing the angels. Other people think this is like a within the Trinity discussion. At the very least, we know that God is really, really, really has thought through what he's about to do here. And this is important. He says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So everything. Then it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Um, in ancient Near Eastern storytelling, 
And in the Bible, whenever you get to the poem, you've gotten to the most important part. So it's just like story, story, story. And as soon as the poetry hits, and that's you can tell there by the parallelism. Remember, we talked about that last week. Anybody remember thought parallels, thought rhymes? Here we are. We hit the thought rhymes. Boom. This is the most important part. And what people say is, and I think there's some truth to it, is when regular prose turns into poetry, it's a sign that heaven and earth are intersecting. All right, so there's the first kind of telling. And, and for, in the Bible, when a story's really good, it has to tell it at least twice. Have you noticed that? So you read all the way from Genesis through to the end of Second Kings, and it's such a great story that you get Chronicles right after that. And you do the whole thing over again. The creation story is so important, you get it told it twice. The life of Jesus is so important, you get it four times. Okay, And you don't even wait like 10 years between remakes like Hollywood does. It's just like you need four, four remakes right off the bat if you're going to even begin to understand this most important of men. All right. So you get another story. This is Adam and Eve. Adam's been made first this time. He's been formed. He's been placed in the garden. God breathed the breath of life in him. Um. He's been given these trees to guard. He's been given the commandment, the word of God, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's the first kind of scriptural command that we get. And then it says in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now to the ground God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called every living thing, that was his name, and the man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heaven and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Who here ever gets annoyed that God doesn't solve our problems quickly? Yeah, imagine having to give a name to every kind of animal. As the, a length of time before God solves the problem of being alone. Um, God likes to solve problems in a way that we actually understand what he's done. And usually, when you get the microwave solution, you just don't care. Oh, thanks, Jesus. When things take more time, when there's more work involved, then you're actually grateful. And this is what we see. Then Lord God said, uh, sorry, where are we here? Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, which was a prophetic picture of the death of Christ that would happen many generations later. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. Sorry for the little problem there in the bottom right corner. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Some, some people complain that it might be insulting to be made out of a rib for a woman. I don't know if it's any worse than be made out of mud for the man. But you've got to make it out of something. 23. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And in the Hebrew, man is Ish, and woman is Isha. He names her the closest word to himself he can have with the feminine Hebrew ending at the end. 
where he's trying to communicate, she is just like me, and she is totally different, and I'm so glad she's different, and I'm so glad she's just like me. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. This is so interesting to me. I know I've said it before, but it's probably like three years ago, so um, you've forgotten. In verse 24, the Bible hardly ever stops to apply the point of the story. It hardly ever does that. It's kind of got this, if you can't keep up, that's your problem attitude to the point of the story. So when, when the story stops, and Moses, looking at all the like, kind of like rough marriages around him, and probably his has been um, testy at one point or two, if you remember Zipporah, um, he stops and applies the point. Therefore, a man, like every man, every Israelite man, every believing man, it's time you have to leave your mom and your father and you go be one with your wife. End of point, back with the narrative. But this hardly ever happens. So when it happens, you're supposed to like notice. All right. So as I read this, I think you can... I'm, I'm trying to think through what it means to be human. I'm trying to think through what God was intending for us as male and, male and female, man and woman. I want to hear what God is saying out of all the things he could have talked about with these first two chapters describing what was and what was lost. It's, he doesn't talk about a lot. But most of what he talks about is, is people and a man and a woman. So you see a few things here. You see this perspective of meaning and the spirit world. Ah, Rob, help me. I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. I hardly know what I'm talking about, too. But what I mean is this moment here when it says, let us make man in our image. God had an idea of what it would mean to be a man before he made the first man. And God had an idea of what it would mean, the purpose, the meaning, the worth, the value of what it would mean to be a woman before he made the first woman. So meaning and spirit, and purpose, and calling, and value comes first, not last. And God had an idea of what he wanted to say about himself through his male image bearers, and God had a, a, a message about what he wanted to say about himself through female image bearers before he made the first one. That's what we are. That's what being uh, 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 the image of God means. When we think of images, we usually think of like ink on paper or tiny little colored squares on a screen, right? That's your image on your, on your screen. Um, in Hebrew, what this is referring to is that when a king would conquer or rule over a territory... He would get his artisans to create a little statue or a big, like Michael Jackson statue of himself. And he would plant that statue in that town or territory to let everybody know, I am the king of this land. This is my image made in the likeness of me. 
King Nebuchadnezzar, remember? He makes this humongous gold statue of himself that everyone must bow down to. And the weird thing is that you have the image of God, Nebuchadnezzar, making an image of himself. And it's just so messed up on 17,000 levels, which is why God does not like it. We're the statues of the invisible God meant to dignify him through our behavior and declare wherever we go that God reigns. And you can't see him because he's a spirit, but if you look at me, you can at least see the likeness of him. That was our purpose. And it took men and women to tell the story of the character of God. And if you're wondering why, I mean, we kind of, like, do songs sound better when you have guys and gals singing it together? Because their voices sound a bit different? That's what's kind of going on there. We sing the praises of Jesus differently with our lives. We hit different tones. We hit different ranges. And when we work together, we make the fuller song of praise to God. In action, in these stories, if I could just summarize it, I would say like through chapter 2, there is an emphasis on the man um, being granted the mission of having authority and government so that he could be provider and protector. Any guys like the thought of providing and protecting? Any guys here dream that one day someone will break into your house? Because you know the fastest route from every room to a knife or a gun or a baseball bat. And the, the police aren't getting called and they won't ever find the body. Am I right? Am I right? Yes. You know, these are the things we don't usually say during the message. <laughs> so they, they, I've just lost you guys for the rest of the mess. It's going to be like, yeah, wouldn't it be great if someone busted in the doors here and I just grab a chair and we'd throw the chair and then it'd be like 20 minutes of this and then we'd just put them underneath the elevator. Right? And then we remember, oh yeah, we're Christians. Oh. Okay, so maybe we'll talk about the gospel. But then, oh there. So I, I have lost you guys. It's terrible. I could be wrong, but to me, in the story of the creation of Eve, there is this emphasis of the, the woman uh, being the carrier of the life-giving power of God as well as the glory of God. But we see these perspectives, the spirit world and the meaning of humanity being manifest through uh, the masculine and feminine in English, when we think of masculine and feminine, we think about meaning, what it means to be male, what it means to be feminine. We see that through Adam and Eve, and I think as Christians we see that in places where it talks about Christ's relationship to the church. But we also have this perspective of seeing the body in the material world. When God is creating his image bearers, he calls them right away male and female, which uh, is the Hebrew word zakar for male and the Hebrew word uh, nekeva for female. And these words emphasize, sorry to put a sharp point on it, the kind of genitalia they've been given. The physical characteristics of what a woman looks like and the physical characteristics of what a man looks like right there as important to what it means to be a man or a woman 
In the first chapter, the first thing we learn about a man is he has testicles. And the first thing we learn about a woman is that she has ovaries and all the other stuff. And I'm, I, I'm saying the words because we don't often talk about the words, and then everybody else does. And you think, you can't say testicles in church. But if you're going to talk about the truth, someday you're going to have to say it. I, now, now I just lost all the teenagers. But... <laughs> I'm, this is part of your maturing process. I'll just say that, okay? You'll say, there was a time I never heard those words from the pulpit, and then there was a time I did hear that word, and now it doesn't bother me anywhere I hear it. But all I'm trying to say to you is, the meaning of man and woman was first expressed through the body that we were given. And then in the next chapter... Um, what it means to be male and female is especially heightened with our relationship with one another. We see it through the perspective of relationship and the social world. Those words are ish and asha, as I've talked about, and those are actually the words in Hebrew for husband and wife. They don't actually have a separate word for husband and wife. It's just, I'm a man, and I'm her man. Or, I'm a woman, and I'm his woman. But those words, Isha and Ashad, they, they emphasize that we are in relationship with each other. And you get those words in the story about how it's not good for a man to be alone. So we have these perspectives. We mean something, masculine and feminine. We have this perspective. We have bodies, male and female. We have this perspective. We relate to each other, man and woman. And that these are all just part of the whole thing. And if nothing bad had happened, all of us would just go through life perfectly at peace with the masculine role and the male body and the manhood relationships with other men and women. And everyone would go through life with the feminine calling to express God's nature and the female body just having all kinds of kids without pain or danger or frustrations in raising them because none of them would be disobedient. And being a woman in relationship to other women and to men as either daughter or sister. And everything would have been fine. And no one would ever feel insecure or belittled or threatened or uh, violated or rejected. But that was all lost when we ate the fruit. And it's, it's easy... I, I think I've sometimes served the church badly because often when I talk about male-female relationships, I'm kind of addressing people who I think want to do a good job in these things. That, that you want to, you're a man, you want to treat your sisters right. You want to obey Jesus. You want to repent of your sin. You want to have a humble heart. Or you're a woman... And you want to treat Jesus right. And you want to submit to the word. And you want to treat your sisters well. And want to treat your brothers well. And you want to act out Christ in the church and the word. And, and I just, I have felt over the years that I have failed to acknowledge that for many of us, we find ourselves in relationships that are absolutely hellish. Stuck with people who have no intention to worship God at all. And it struck me this when we were listening to the book of Genesis as a family. We just thought, you know, let's be in the Bible as a family. I think Jackie initiated this. And we just thought we'd just listen through the Bible in a year. It's actually really fun. Just you put it on, you get your ESV app, press play. 
And we're listening to Genesis, and I'm like, oh, man. i got kids in the room. And it's the uh, Lot and his daughter chapter. Oh, man. This is hard to listen to. So in the book of Genesis, which gives us this picture of unfallen male and female, before you're even done the first book of the Bible, you've heard about a guy having two wives and killing somebody. You've heard about the age of uh, the flood where great kings are raising themselves up and forming harems and just gathering all the women they want to themselves. Interesting note, the families that made it through the flood were all monogamous marriages. Noah and his wife and his sons and their wives, and they each just had one. In an age of men who just would scoop up women to be their possessions. You have um, infertile Sarah handing over her uh, servant to be a surrogate mother. Um, and then the surrogate mother getting all uppity with Sarah, and then Sarah driving her out of the house, and then God sending her back in, and all these, these fights. You have, um, yeah, you have Lot and his daughters fleeing from Sodom because God destroyed Sodom when the men of Sodom got up in the middle of the night to uh, gang violate some people who were trying to spend the night in their city but it turned out they were angels and so the angels destroyed all of them but the daughters feeling like they had no hope for children intoxicated their father in order to become impregnated by him Um, you have the story of uh, Dinah who was uh, by force taken um, by Shechem and imprisoned in his house and so that and violated physically and then was going to be forced to be married to him until her brothers uh, concocted a plan to use circumcision to weaken all the men of the city so that they could show up a few days later and murder all of them to rescue her. Uh, you have the story of Jacob who wanted to marry Rachel and her dad swapped her out for her sister Leah so that he ended up um, marrying Leah in the middle of the night and then Rachel seven days later finally getting her husband that she'll never have to her own and then the two sisters having a child war with each other in order to prove which one's the more valuable to her husband by bearing the most children. You have Joseph being sold into slavery to Potiphar and Potiphar's wife um, trying at first to seduce Joseph and then when her seduct- seductions are rejected trying to get him killed by accusing him of trying to abuse her. And though, of course, he's only thrown into prison, that prison should have been a death sentence for him. So you're, all, you're not even out of the first book before the story tells you things are horrible between men and women. Or at least things can be completely devastatingly, nauseatingly, enragingly, despairingly horrible between men and women. Not even out of the first book. You're not even to the book of Leviticus where you finally get the rules of stuff you're not supposed to do. So I'm just saying that because I don't want to appear to be uh, naive about what your real life can be like. And you need to know that God himself is not naive about the devastation that happened to male and female in the fall. And instead we get this, man, this is a good summary. It's from Ephesians 2 about what life is like after the fall. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses. That 
that really does correspond to our bodies. Remember, we get these male and female bodies which were meant to be the vehicle of dignity as we displayed the holiness of God in the world. Instead, all we have to look forward to is actually just getting old and dying. And even, you know, if you're a strong man now or a beautiful woman now, enjoy it while it lasts. Someday, you will be a bunch of rotting flesh and dried out bones in a hole in the ground. Or ashes. You are dead in your trespasses. This is describing who, what life is like for us apart from salvation in Jesus. And once you once walked... This is devastating. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So before where we were supposed to be like holy masculine and holy feminine and displaying the character of God, all we have to look forward to is following the latest demonic fad that has captured the imagination of the world. That's, that's all there is. Following the latest satanically inspired corruption of what it means to be human that we all think is fantastic. Yay! And then among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So here we are in our physical bodies, and most of what we think it means to be a man is just to finally satisfy my desires, and what we think it means to be a woman is just to get what I want. And we have this option before us. In our culture nowadays, which says the point of life is to be plastic people in a world of living pornography, or as followers of Jesus, we can be redignified temples in a living body of Christ. And I will explain a bit of how that works. So, returning back to the story of David Reimer, the whole reason they invented a therapy that involved cutting him to bits and lying to him was because they wanted to prove this theory that there is no difference between men and women. And behind that theory is this desire to say there is no ultimate purpose out there that controls who I am. I get to decide what I am and what I mean and no one else. Which makes me a plastic person. Plastic here not meaning like that stuff that breaks, but this idea that things are moldable and changeable and you can take something and you can transform it into any single shape you want. And this for us is our kind of our idea of freedom nowadays. Nobody decides what my identity is but me. And I can identify as anything I want. It's from this idea of freedom coming from not having a created purpose. So we live in southeast Manitoba. We live in Steinbeck. Has anybody noticed that we live in Steinbeck? Here's your opportunity to be in, agree- in agreement with me. It's true. And if you don't live in Steinbeck, you live near Steinbeck. Unless you're on the internet. Hi, internet people. Hope you're having a great day. <laughs> Anyhow, I really love this town. Um, you're in my heart. I hope... Well, whatever. Um, you're in my heart. You are my people. I love living here, and one of the things I do when I love something is I tease it all the time, so I often will tease Steinbeck. Um, we are the, the uh, 
the, the sheet of ice in the back of your freezer in the world, you know, where you're just kind of like, I bet there's food behind there that's been there for 30 years that no one <laughs> knows about. I love living here. Um, one of the things that's really great is that we, we actually have bald eagles around here. Has anybody seen the bald eagles? I'm always stunned. Like, how did we luck out to have bald eagles that want to live in our neighborhood? And bald eagles are just such an amazing creature. Um, just when you see them soaring on the wing, absolute masters of the skies. And if they want to, they could, like, just descend out of nowhere and destroy your cat. And I hope it's Polly and not Frodo. Just kidding. Oh, are we, can we still be friends? <laughs> All I can say is that Frodo's got a massive kill count. Maybe if Polly brings me home a woodpecker one day, I'll, I'll be the same. Okay, back to the birds. They're beautiful. They're majestic. They're amazing. And I, one of the reasons why we like them, and one of the reasons they keep appearing as like symbols of power in world empires, is because they are free. They build their nests at the top of like the highest trees where you can't get at them. They can soar so high in the sky you can hardly see them, but they have these amazing eyes so that they can kind of see the pulse on your neck from you know half a mile away. And if they like what it looks like, then it's just all talents. <laughs> they are a symbol of freedom for us. Now, if you got your hands on a bald eagle and you kept the claws in the right direction and you decided that in order to be really free, it also needed to be a good swimmer. And you filled up your bathtub, and you held it underwater, like the whole thing, for 10 minutes. What would happen to it? Yeah, it would be dead. Because even though it's like one of the freest creatures ever, it's not free to be what it isn't. Living underwater is a fish's job. And if you've ever seen a fish underwater, those things are free. They swim so fast. They can actually see stuff. They are hard to catch. But they make sucky birds. <laughs> and they make horrible dogs. As a creature, our freedom really is only being what we were made to be. Not becoming something we're not. But in order to get there, you have to believe that you have a good creator who loves you and has a good intention for you. And you have to be willing to submit and surrender and yield and accept. And that is terrifying for North Americans who have built their whole idea of freedom on the idea of being independent from each other, from commitment, from sickness and death, and especially from yielding to an all-powerful God who holds each one of our lives in his hands and decides how long we live for and what's going on everywhere. Well, being a plastic people in a world of living pornography, I didn't make up either of these phrases. What do I mean by a world of living pornography? A plastic person emphasizes their soul above all else. 
This interior life of mine, my world of desires and wants, is more important than my body and my relationships and the physical world and the spiritual world. This is what defines me. But we are in such a pornified culture that it is incredibly difficult for us to imagine that other people have that same soul. And we diminish the fact that other people have souls, and we re-emphasize that they're just kind of bodies, and we act like those outside bodies are essentially just there to participate with whatever fantasy life is going on inside of our head. So when you have pornography, you capture an image of a living being, and you remove from them all will, all... um, Desire, all composure, and they exist just to satisfy your want in the moment, and then once used are discarded. And this is a tone in our culture. I'm the main character of my movie. You are just NPCs. Are you familiar with these terms? It's actually very helpful. Thank you, Twitter. Non-player characters, you're, you're just those guys in the video games that just fill up the background. You're all toads. I'm Mario, you're toads. And if I need to jump on your head in order to get a coin, I'm going to do that. But you aren't real people. You're not real characters. I'm a real character. I'm Spider-Man in Spider-Man 3. I'm Iron Man in the remake. I'm Frodo and Aragorn and Gandalf. You're just orcs. <laughs> this is how our culture works. Each one of us in our head is the most important thing that's ever existed. Everybody else either participates with the life we fantasize for ourselves or are dead to us. And that is this culture of plastic people. I am whoever I want to be. In a world of living pornography, you're just there to do your script It doesn't work. It's a great way to ruin a life, to ruin a marriage, to ruin a family, to ruin a church. It doesn't work. The reality is, is Jesus is the main character of human history. And no human being is an NPC. Each one of us exists with uh, mind-crushing importance. And our life will be eternal and last forever. Everything we feel and everything we do and everything we think and say, Jesus even said, even your tiniest words will come up for judgment. Why? Because he's cruel? No, because we are so important in every way. So, church, I think we are all on the lifelong journey of not believing that we're plastic people, but we are people who find our freedom in becoming who God has created us to be, and that we don't know anybody at all, who can be used for anything, for our personal purposes. Instead, we have a debt of service to every person because they carry the image of God in them, at least in some way. But instead, we are meant to be redignified temples of the living God. And this is where we get into the hope. This is where we get into the, the downward, we're pulling up on the joystick and we're not going to hit the mountaintop. I might go a little bit longer than usual today, but I think it's important. If you live in a culture where 
oh, it's so bad. And I don't say that to like make anybody feel horrible, but I think we ought to just go like, we need change. God's method is to take sinners, and that's me, people who have no hope without him, and that's me, and to take them on a lifelong journey of becoming who, not only who we could have been, but better than who we could have been. And he does that in part by telling us the immense dignity that we have as his people. So here's an instance from scripture of God doing this. So this is the Corinthian church. This is the church for us. These letters are for us. They, they pretty much dealt with all the same problems we had. They were very sexually free people. They were very wealthy people. They were very proud people. Their church was um, stratified in importance. They were fought over titles. Um, they fought over who they were connected with socially to know who was better than the other ones. They're very, very similar culture to ours now. And in that church, they had people, and I've always assumed it was guys, but it didn't have to be then, even though it, same as it didn't have to be now. And there was a part of the church that had developed a theology which separated the spirit from the body, and they just said, hey, my spirit is redeemed by Jesus. And it doesn't really matter what my body does, especially after dark. And they would say things like, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, which was their version of it feels good, do it. And Paul, writing by the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to rescue them from this self-destruction by telling them how important they are. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Like When you get saved, you don't just get thrown through the washing machine. You become united with the resurrection resurrected king of the universe shall i then take the members of christ and make them members of a prostitute never or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her and i don't totally think that using technology to separate the physical connection um, actually stops the spiritual connection so we can't get away from this point with our internet. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. We read that already. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. For every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. And here we go. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? which you have from God. You are not your own. For you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You are not just this plastic thing that gobbles up souls. You have been united with Christ and are indwelled with the Spirit of the Holy God. And you were bought with his blood. So live for the Holy One. Because you have unlimited dignity in Jesus now. Don't do anything that would dishonor yourself. Now that you are more royal than royal. Now that you are of more worth than what could ever be called worthy. 
Now that you are filled with something more important that could ever be an important thing to fill yourself with. Live like it. Know it. Own it. This is who you are. I find, I find pornography, you know, I'm online so it gets at you somehow. I find it so insulting these days. So degrading just to be exposed to it because it is so beneath Jesus. And it is so beneath who we are in Jesus. And that's the point. You're way too important for this stuff. Well, we'll do another one. Anybody ever seen a bad marriage? Anybody ever... I know some of you have barely survived one. I'm just picking the husband portion here because it's got the best parts. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. She is not just living pornography for you. She is the physical expression of the glory of the bride of Jesus. He gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her and cleanse her by the washing of water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in unlimited splendor. I put that one in there, but it will be unlimited. We are going to shine with everything Jesus is in the new heavens and the new earth. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Paul Sometimes you need someone who's not married to get it. And Paul just got it. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. You know what selfishness in the kingdom looks like? It looks like boxes of chocolates and flowers and waiting outside of the ladies' clothing store with a smile on your face. And it just looks like just loving the stank out of her. That's what selfishness looks like for guys in the kingdom. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Sorry, mom, someday. (laughs) I know it's tough. We're there right now. I've been preparing my heart to be just chopped liver in the sight of my children, because it's so healthy. Therefore, a man shall leave his father's mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a mystery. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. Therefore, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Is that so hard? Sometimes, yes. So, Jackie has a face that she makes sometimes. I'm not going to look at her. It's, it's this face, and she doesn't know when she's making it. Sorry, I, just, I need to keep my eyes closed for this because I'm caring about the spiritual realm and not the physical right now. She makes a face. She doesn't know when she's making it. And if you went up to her and said, make the face, she wouldn't know what you're talking about. So don't do that. That's awkward. <laughs> but on her face, I can see a glimpse of what she will look like. When she is in her resurrected body and she is judging the angels with Jesus. 
It's just clothed in regality and queenliness. I don't even know what to call it. It's so holy. And all I want to do in my marriage right now is try to see her the way Jesus sees her. Because that's who she is. And just try to do my part as a flawed instrument in Jesus forming who he knows she is. The spiritual meaning of daughterhood and bridehood and womanhood and femininity expressed through this tiny Mennonite brunette. Because I've seen glimpses of it, and it's too good to wreck. And my, I don't even know. So, this is the mission of the church in an age of plastic people amongst living pornography is that we are on mission in our minds and in our hearts to redignify ourselves and each other. To conduct ourselves as the royal representatives of the invisible Father. And to see on each other something so pure and holy that it is worthwhile for men to lose their lives. And honor and fight for this. And to grant for the ladies, if I can, I think I should go first. Men worthy of the kind of respect Scripture calls for them to have, to be given, and not make it so hard sometimes. And it has to do with us accepting that. Even though we, we all know each other, we all see all this stuff, and I'm only going to grow more carbuncles on my face as the years go on, there is something invisible and profound and hardly even describable going on in the life of a brother or a sister that ought to be treasured. And even people who don't know Jesus have not yet lost the image of God on them. And they they deserve something just because our Father made them. So I think the band will play, Lord willing. And I think... Let's say ladies with ladies and men with men as much as possible in prayer. If you feel like you have been disgraced in life, either as a man or as a woman, and you're willing to come up and just have a time of meeting with God to help wash you of your wounds, or if you're trapped in something, And you need some prayer for that. And then we're going to have some help starting soon.
stuff's really important. And I'm convinced over time we're going to have more and more sexual refugees looking to the church to show them what actually works in life. And we need to live it with humility. So if you want prayer, now now is a good day to not miss out on encountering God. He loves his daughters. He wants them to be free to be his daughters. He loves his sons. He wants them to be free to be his sons. He loves his children. He wants us to be free to be the children of God together. And it's going to be painful sometimes to get through it, but it will be good. So Father God, bless your people as we come to you.